What up, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows, and this very special episode of the Square Circle Podcast and going forward, we'll be covering the full G1 Climax 32. That's right. It's summertime. It's G1 time, and we have a lot to talk about. Today, July 16th, if you are not a member of NJPWworld.com, that's okay. NJPWworld.com. Decided to put the two opening nights, July 16th, July 17th, Saturday, Sunday, totally free for you to watch on NJPWworld.com. If you enjoy what you see and you enjoy my reviews, why not pair it up? You can definitely listen to this podcast episode, read all of my notes and all of my written articles that's going to be up on marieshadows.substack.com, all while having a subscription to not only me, but also to New Japan Pro Wrestling to help them continue to have that network up. It's only $7 a month. And for me, I'm giving you guys a sale for 28% off of all of my readership and all of my content that i'm going to constantly be putting up there every single day that there is a g1 or just whatever is happening in the wrestling world so there's options we like to give wrestling fans options and the best choice for their hard-earned money these podcast episodes will only feature the G1 Climax 32 card. It will not feature any type of undercards unless there is a direct storyline that I have to tell you guys about. For example, the whole storyline with Bullet Club kicking out Tama, all of that turmoil. If there's still more story happening throughout the G1, which is probably going to happen anyway. But if it's an undercard, then I will talk about it. If it's not happening on an undercard, you will only get G1 Climax 32 match reviews like this one and moving forward. And before we actually jump into the matches, I do have some housekeeping notes. As you know, the Square Circle podcast is free to listen to. You are always able to donate any type of amount that you want to keep the brand going. This is a lot of work, especially for me being the only one to cover the G1. Make sure you get podcast episodes. Make sure you get twitch.tv discussions. Substack's very own thread discussions about the G1. I made some Luma events where you could register for free so you could get notified way better than Twitch notifications for when I go live and you could join me on those Twitch chats about the G1 because I want you guys there. I want you guys in the chat to say hi, tell me about your day, and we could definitely have a really nice discussion with each other and keep the morale up if you need that and also to give you some other goodies i will be having clark connors on the square circle podcast live on twitch so that's an extra amount of content given to you guys for the coverage of the g1 because like i said it is only me doing this i have you guys to really thank for pushing me and for listening to my content and sharing my content so i just want to let you guys know that i appreciate everything that you guys do while i push this out all by myself now with that being said marieshadows.substack.com is going to have a lot of content a lot of wrestling content that's going to be delivered directly to your inbox hopefully every day at 10 a.m if not you guys will get it but you guys will get it anyway 
And so I am running a sale. It is in honor of the G1. There are 28 competitors. So why not give you guys 28% off of yearly and monthly subscriptions that can help the brand go further and beyond. And you guys can listen to the full podcast episodes to anything that I decide to put a lock on, which would be wrestler interviews and more. You guys can definitely unlock that with a simple subscription to marieshadows.substack.com. Now, how do you get a subscription? It will be a button inside of the post. If not, you guys can definitely go to marieshadows.substack.com forward slash G132. And that automatically knows that you want to get the membership. I will say this here in the first one that for all of my free subscribers over at marieshadows.substack.com, these podcast episodes will only have two out of the four matches of the G1 Climax. If you want to know how the rest of the matches went, my ideas, my thoughts and everything, you will have to upgrade to a paid subscription. I am letting you know now because I like to be transparent with you guys. I do this all the time when I'm on Twitch. I rather have you know than not know and do something shady. I don't ever want that to happen. I don't ever want where I have to do something shady and you guys don't like it because nobody wants that. So I'd rather be truthful and transparent. These episodes are going to come in two different ways. Like I said, paid subscribers over at marieshadows.substack.com will get the full review Free subscribers to marieshadows.substack.com will only get two out of the four. If that seems unfair, if you are a first time listener or a long time listener to the Square Circle podcast, I apologize, but just think of it like if you worked hard on any project that you love dearly, you shouldn't really necessarily be giving it away for free every single time just to attract people. That's it for housekeeping notes. Just keep in mind that I love being transparent with you guys and truthful and honest. That goes a long way. All right, let's jump into G1 Climax 32 review. This is the opening night, Saturday, July 16th, 2022. We are starting with C Block. We are having Aaron Hanari of the United Empire taking on Hiroshi Tanahashi in a one versus one match. And whoever gets a pinfall or submission will end up getting two points. If this match goes to a draw, they get one point. If there is a loss, obviously they get zero points. This was a very hard fought match on Tanahashi's side. Tanahashi is a big guy he has a lot of power and he can do some high flying moves he's a hybrid of sorts but Hinari did add some mass to his frame so he is 110 kilograms which I had to look up to be 242 pounds and that's all pure muscle and pure strength so noticing in this match Tanahashi was having a little bit more of a hard time trying to fight Hinari. Hinari is usually a lot more slimmer, a lot more agile because he likes to throw a lot of kicks. He likes to have speed and he definitely likes to have power and endurance. But this time around, he became, I don't know if we want to call him a super heavyweight, but he definitely did add some pounds to be that what it means to be a heavyweight in 
New Japan Pro Wrestling. And I also do think that Hinari has to get used to the size that he put on, that he's not really used to it. But he did manage to really take advantage of Tanahashi in this match. And of course, you know, Hinari joining the United Empire did wonders for his career and is still going great. Because before, when he came in as a young lion, they wanted him to be more of the Islander type because he's from New Zealand and he's native from New Zealand, having that Maori background and stuff. So sometimes New Japan wants certain wrestlers to just be their self and what they represent, especially with something like that, to have that type of background. And so you can see that if he continued to be the Islander guy, that he would have had a ceiling placed on him in his professional wrestling career. But ever since breaking away from that and Will Ospreay helping him out, bringing him into the United Empire, it definitely changed a lot. And it made Aaron Hinare become the guy that he always was meant to be. The ultimate weapon, the ultimate ass kicker, and definitely some shades of being a hitman, too. If you guys did not watch the G1 press conference, you guys should because Hinari was one of the best dressed there when they were doing the conference for A block and B block because they're not going to have like all the blocks in one place. They decided to break it up like that. And Hinari wearing a three-piece suit looked really, really good. Anyway, to this match, we get a springboard kick to Tanahashi by Hinari, which definitely dazed Tanahashi. Tanahashi was not expecting that springboard kick from Hinari. Hinari just stomps the shit out of Tanahashi during the opening part of the match to where Hinari is just very dominant against Tanahashi. Usually it's Tanahashi leading certain wrestlers in his matches, especially when it comes to either tournament matches, big matches. But this time around, Hinare was front and center of leading the match and Tanahashi trying to create some type of offense and distance between each other to get some momentum going. Hinari comes in with a flying forearm. And this is where Tanahashi begins to open up some offense by doing that somersault senton to Hinare, but that doesn't mean that the ace is in control fully because he really wasn't. Hinare does catch Tanahashi with a lariat, and this lariat stops the sling blade that Tanahashi is known for. Tanahashi turns it around, slaps Hinare, and then Hinare comes with a berserker bomb to Tanahashi. Hinari manages to get in a Samoan drop and then he does a second rope senton to Tanahashi, which by the way, he has to keep that in his arsenal. Like that's pretty cool for him to do that. I don't think he did it before, but with his size is definitely effective. Now, even though Hinari is getting the upper hand over Tanahashi in their match, Tanahashi does manage to use his fighting spirit and everything that he knows to create some offense. So what he does next is doing two twists and shouts to 
Hinare and breaking out of Hinare's full Nelson, which is now his finisher called Ultima. And Tanahashi manages to do a sling blade to Hinare, goes for the cover, but Hinare kicks out. Tanahashi at this point is desperate to try and get some momentum going. So he does aces high, which catches Hinare on the first one. Tanahashi goes back up to the top rope. Tanahashi gets ready for high fly flow. And so as he's flying through the air, Hinari manages to get up his knees and Tanahashi crashes on Hinari's knees and does this bounce, this awesome sell with it. Both men were hurt at this point. Tanahashi does manage to fight out of Rampage, which is Hinari's go-to spear that looks fucking devastating. However, Hinari is very quick to think on his feet because he does pick up Tanahashi to do a spine buster. So even though Tanahashi was trying to get out of the way of Hinari's spear, Hinari still managed to clutch on to Tanahashi's legs to pick him up for a spine buster and then cover him in a clutch position as he's holding Tanahashi's legs to get the leverage in a legal way in professional wrestling but Tanahashi manages to kick out of that Hinari then manages to follow up with the Ultima which is that full note which is that full Nelson finisher that Hinari now has on Tanahashi, but Tanahashi breaks out of it. And with a couple of back and forth exchanges between Hinari and Tanahashi, Hinari manages to do Shreetha Rage, which is his other finisher to Tanahashi. And Hinari goes for the pin, one, two, three, and he defeats Hiroshi Tanahashi in the first match of the G1 Climax 32 on opening night, July 16th. And that gives Hinari his first two points of the G1. Also, just a free plug for Hinari. Hinari dropped his first self-published book over at gumroad.com. It is called... Primal Manhood, A Men's Guide to Reclaiming Masculinity. So if you guys are interested, head over to theprimalbro.gumroad.com to pick up your copy and support Aaron Hinari in any way by doing that. Our second match for the G1 Climax 32 comes by D-Block. El Phantasmo versus Will Ospreay. Man, this match, this match, man. Osprey was already pissed off at what EOP said during the G1 press conference. As soon as that bell rang, Osprey quickly did a shotgun drop kick to El Phantasmo that sent El Phantasmo back first into the corner pad. And it was just off to the races from there. The speed of Will Ospreay when he decided to do a handspring Tope Conhilo out to the floor against ELP. For half of the match, Ospreay was definitely in control of the pace and where he wanted to take this match. ELP was trying to get in openings, and he did. ELP managed to get some offense in here and there, but Ospreay seemed one step ahead of El Phantasmo. 
And El Fantasmo barely did any of his shenanigans. He wasn't playing around. He was serious. Will Ospreay has this sort of majestic magic aura that happens whenever he wrestles certain wrestlers. He has an undeniable chemistry with a lot of guys and the way that he approaches the matches, the way that he attacks the matches, no pun intended on that one, but the way he just thinks about it, especially when you have El Fantasmo and you guys can definitely make the debate about it being that they're, they could be the same in terms of great wrestling ability and great thinkers for the wrestling business and to create matches. And in this match between El Fantasmo and Osprey, it felt really magical. It felt really urgent. And it also felt like none of them, no man can lose. And if they lose, then that definitely will hurt their mental state going into this G1. It felt like getting a victory mattered so much on how they jumpstart and kickstart the G1 Climax 32. As both men get back into the ring, El Fantasmo does try to rake the back of Osprey, but Osprey quickly answers with a chop that sends El Fantasmo down. Osprey is not playing with El Fantasmo in this match. Osprey is all business. El Fantasmo tried to go for a hurricanrana, but Osprey catches him and drops him throat first onto the ropes, followed by a big boot to El Fantasmo. Like I said, El Fantasmo is trying to gain some offense here against Will Osprey, but Osprey keeps delivering very heavy slaps and shots to ELP. Osprey does a crossbody and then dodges ELP's moonsaults where Osprey goes to the outside and then El Fantasmo decides to do a quick suicide dive to take Osprey off his game and decides to chop Osprey in the process. Then we get that huge, beautiful moonsault that ELP loves to do and he does it onto Osprey onto the outside to remind people that, yes, he can still go as a high flyer and it looks very pretty and it looks very nice. This is where the tables sort of turn, where El Fantasmo finally gets in that offense that he desperately wanted to do. He has Will Ospreay hanging on the tree of woe. Woe. He has Will Ospreay hanging on the tree of woe, where he comes in and does a very low basement drop kick to the side of Will Ospreay's face, and then follows it up with a hesitation missile drop kick to Osprey as he hangs there in the tree of woe. El Fantasmo goes for a cover at that point, but Osprey is way too close to the rope and then grabs the rope to cause a rope break. Osprey manages to do a sidekick. And then do this airplane backbreaker to El Fantasmo. He basically spun El Fantasmo a lot while he held him and then did a backbreaker. We get a series of counters between Osprey and El Fantasmo, which ends up having Osprey stun ELP with a stunner. But as El Fantasmo is recovering and Osprey is going over to the top rope. ELP meets him at the top rope or second rope. 
catches Osprey and does a reverse Spanish fly to Osprey. Both men are down and recovering. As they get back to as they get back to consciousness, Osprey dodges the sudden death, which is just a super kick without the loaded boot that El Fantasmo used to have. Osprey delivers a forearm and then goes right for Chelsea Grin. Does a power bomb to El Fantasmo, goes for the cover, El Fantasmo kicks out. Osprey again hits another power bomb attempt. Goes for the cover on El Fantasmo. El Fantasmo kicks out. Osprey then decides to go over to the turnbuckles, climb up to the top rope, and ELP is there to meet him and does a huge super rana off the top rope to Will Osprey. This is to be followed by his high fly move called Thunder Kiss 86. However, Osprey decides to roll further into the ring so he can avoid it. And El Fantasma decides to jump anyway and try to get him, but that never worked. So as El Fantasma is recovering, Will Osprey comes and does the Robinson special, which is a twisting jump kick that hits El Fantasma. As El Fantasma is recovering from the Robinson special, Will Osprey goes and tries to do the odds cutter. However, sudden death is there. El Fantasmo decides to do sudden death to avoid the odds cutter and goes for a pin attempt on Will Osprey. Will Osprey kicks out. Osprey manages to do the hook kick and that dazes and stuns El Fantasmo. Again, Osprey goes for the odds cutter and El Fantasmo counters that with a backslide counter a pin attempt in which Osprey kicks out of that and there is a split second where El Fantasmo briefly argues with the referee because he could not believe that Osprey kicked out at two and so Osprey sees his opportunity does a quick follow-up with the hidden blade to El Fantasmo Pins El Fantasmo in the momentum of that finisher for one, two, three, and manages to get two points on the opening night of the D1 Climax 32, July 16th. Fantastic match that definitely stole the night. Our third match for the G1 Climax 32 opening night is from B Block. Sonata taking on our IWGP World Heavyweight Champion and the catalyst of professional wrestling, Kane Switch, Switchblade Jay White. It is really so good to have Jay White back in his element in a New Japan ring. While he's here in the States and he wrestles on New Japan Strong, he goes over to Impact, he goes over to AEW, he does a fantastic job wherever he goes. A plus all around for Jay White. But when you see him in a New Japan ring, it is something special. It is a treat and it's unlike anything that you watch before when you're watching a true blue heel. Jay White is one of those heels that you love to hate. And Jay White just has a very great commanding 
of the crowd and dictating the pace, dictating the match, dictating what you should be doing because ultimately he does tell you what to do and you kind of fall into it and you know that you're having a very good time. Whenever it comes to Jay White versus Sonata, Jay White versus Ishii, Jay White versus anybody, it's going to be a fun ride from start to finish. Jay White versus Sonata was a very fun match. Jay White was trying to have the crowd break one of the COVID rules, which is they cannot use their voice. So every time he will chant Sonata, Sonata, the crowd will clap along because that is what they can do only. They can't really make noise or make sound. Sonata is the good and true babyface in New Japan Pro Wrestling. I don't know if Sonata could ever be a heel. Sonata really doesn't do much promos because he's very shy to talk. He's very shy to take the spotlight. He's very shy to be that guy. So he's very good at following other people in ring. And he's very good at displaying his talented wrestling abilities. Sonata could definitely tell a story inside the ring depending on who he is fighting. When he's fighting Jay White, what I really love that they do is getting towards the end with all of the counters versus counters versus counters versus counters because of their finishers. And sometimes you don't know who's going to slip up and get that opening to have their finisher win the match. So that's what I appreciate from this third match is towards the ending and we'll get there. I just wanted to let you know that watching Jay White is such a treat him versus Sonata is always fun. Jay White doing his tactics is always fun too. And of course, Jay White had Gato in his corner. So after Jay White tries to get the crowd to chant and use their voices to say Sonata, Sonata, Jay White manages to get Sonata onto the outside and if any of you have listened to me talk about Jay White and Bullet Club, if you get them outside of the ring, that is the worst thing you can do. Bullet Club, along with Jay White, are the most dangerous people to have on the outside with you because they use everything to their environment. They don't really give a shit. So because Sonata was outside with Jay White, Jay White likes to use the outside area to his advantage he does a flatliner to sonata which is basically crashing sonata's chest and ribs into the guardrail and the guardrail in new japan pro wrestling is not protected as like wwe guardrails where it's all foam and it's very thick cushioning it's very metal when it comes to new japan pro wrestling guardrail New Japan Pro Wrestling believes in pure wrestling ability that has to be kept inside the ring, in the middle of the ring. They don't really have much protection on the outside, so their guardrails are full-blown steel. And so Jay continues his attack on Sonata by dropping Sonata again on the guardrail and then throwing Sonata back first into the hardest part of the ring, which is the apron, and again sending him for a ride into the guardrail. This is Jay White's way of breaking down an opponent and having them breathe with him during the match. 
because for those of you that are new to Jay White or not new to Jay White, he says that you breathe with a switchblade, which means that his ultimate goal is to work on your rib cage. If you're having a hard time breathing, then you're going to have shortness of breath. You might end up tapping out early. You might end up submitting early. You might end up getting pinned early because you just can't take it anymore. And so as a wrestler, you need the ability to breathe and do these moves. Jay White, on the other hand, is very smart to take that power away from you so that way he can dictate the pace, dictate what has to go on in the match, and you follow him. And that's why most of the time when he does the Blade Runner, you're breathing with him. He sets you up so that way he can win the match. Sometimes he gets a little cocky and gets that chip on his shoulder and he loses sometimes, but nine times out of ten, you're going to be breathing with him. So even though Jay White is currently attacking Sonata's ribs, Sonata does manage to get a comeback and it's quickly stopped by Jay White. However, this time around, Sonata does manage to lock in the Paradise Lock on Jay White, does the Paradise Lock where he does a drop kick to your butt and it sort of like sends shockwaves throughout your body. That's what the Paradise Lock does. Jay then does his famous DDT to Sonata, manages to follow that up with a blade buster and then a complete shot into a deadlift German to Sonata, followed by Uranagi. And then Jay White counters Sonata's springboard. At this point, Jay really knows almost everything there is about Sonata. So he's able to really counter Sonata. Sonata does manage to get Jay in a TKO, followed by Skull's N included with a swing and then drops down and hooks it in deep. This point, Gato is very worried about his number one wrestling asset, Jay White, and decides to jump up on the ring apron and cause a distraction. This has Sonata breaking the hold and allowing Jay White to recover a little bit. And as Jay White recovers, he does kick the middle rope and that hits Sonata in the crotch. Gato drops down and Jay White takes over from there. We get an uppercut forearm that Jay White does. And whether by accident or intent, as Sonata is falling back from that powerful uppercut forearm, Sonata's foot directly hits Jay White in the balls. Normally, that is a DQ. Everyone saw it. It is caught on camera. And New Japan World decided to put that up on Twitter to show the world that this happened to JY and JY's match. And it was a legitimate hit. It wasn't like one of the fake ones where people just do a regular low blow and they go about the match. But this was like legit. It was so awkward that I was like, what is happening here? And so the referee and Sonata are like, I don't understand what's happening. Jay White does fight with the referee. The referee is Red Shoes Uno. And Red Shoes was like, that's not a DQ. Jay White is yelling at the referee to tell him to disqualify Sonata to make him the champion, raise his hand because Sonata 
essentially did a low blow without meaning to do a low blow after Jay White did an uppercut to him. But I've never seen that in professional wrestling. That was like a really interesting spot, despite the fact that Jay White got hit in the balls. Anyway, Sonata then decides to roll up Jay and basically cause a panic attack. Sonata then does a TKO on Jay White. Jay White kicks out of the pin attempt. And then Sonata does the O'Connor roll, which is scary because he locks it in with that bridge. And usually sometimes people don't really kick out of that, but Jay White manages to kick out. And then we have a back and forth, a counter, like I was saying earlier, between who's going to deliver Skull's End and who's going to deliver the Blade Runner after so much back and forth countering and trying to one-up each other. JY knows about Sonata's healing orbital bone because he got an orbital fracture from Osprey during the New Japan Cup. And so Jay White knows about this and decides to dig his finger in that wound that is healing on Sonata and that blindsides Sonata for a little bit. So Jay is walking over to the corner. He flips over Sonata and turns it into Blade Runner. Jay White goes for the pin, gets the one, two, three over Sonata, and that gives our champion... His first two points in the opening night of the G1 Climax 32. Our main event of the opening night, July 16th, 2022, for A Block is Okada versus Jeff Cobb United Empire. This match was very powerful hard-hitting, and Okada, again, has never dealt with a wrestler like Jeff Cobb who has tremendous strength and power. The A Block has all the big guys, all the monsters, and so A Block is going to be very interesting when we go forward and we look at the matches and we see who's going to be fighting who. Now, I am going to spoil this for you guys. Our winner is Okada. Okada gets his first two points over Jeff Cobb. And Jeff Cobb was really beating the shit out of Okada during most of this match. Okada definitely tried to really make a comeback. He did. But the sheer power that Jeff Cobb has should have given him his first two points in this match. In this main event. Now, I love Okada. I respect Okada. I know what he's done for New Japan Pro Wrestling. I know what he's done for wrestling as a whole. And I really do enjoy his matches. It's just that this match clearly had Jeff Cobb as the winner because of everything that he's been doing in this match to Okada, wearing Okada down, using that strength to his advantage. And when I say his, I mean Jeff Cobb's advantage. It was a very good match back and forth. And I think that's mainly due because of uh, Jeff Cobb being such a huge powerhouse, like owning that title of a powerhouse. That's why he's a very immovable force within the United Empire and why the United Empire works so well together. So 
I may not have liked who won and got the first two points. We all know, we all can agree that Okada is New Japan Pro Wrestling's golden boy. So they can't really have him lose too much. But I really do think that New Japan needs to trust in Jeff Cobb way more than they are right now. I don't understand how you give Jeff Cobb and the Great Okan the IWGP World Tag Team Championships. Again, for the second time, they took it off of Bullet Club's own Chase Owens and Bad Luck Fale, and that made Jeff Cobb and the Great Okan two-time champions, only for them to lose it to FTR, who never stepped foot in New Japan Pro Wrestling until now. During this month, they will be at New Japan Strong High Alert to wrestle in a singles match. And then I think they're also doing Music Mayhem, which is another New Japan Strong show, as a trios tag team. So how do you give them the title belts when they never step foot and bust their ass in New Japan Pro Wrestling, but yet then Jeff Cobb and the Great Okan had a start at the very bottom and worked their way up. And giving the rocket to Jeff Cobb, I really need New Japan to do that because Jeff Cobb is special. He's a special wrestler. He's a special guy. He deserves to have that rocket put on his back and sent to the moon. And I really thought that was going to happen when they made him tag team champion. As much as I want Jeff Cobb to hold a single championship title so that way he can build one of the divisions in his image, for some reason, that's not happening. Not yet, anyway. I will say this, though, that New Japan needs to stop the Jeff Cobb has all this momentum. Jeff Cobb has all these fans that want greatness for him. And then all of a sudden, they give us a little taste of it. And then they pause the momentum only to come back to it later. And it's like, no, stop the go and pause effect. AEW does that shit. AEW does it where there's momentum and it's good momentum. And then they always have a fucking cool down. And then when they start the momentum up again, how am I supposed to be behind the thing you're trying to tell me to get hyped about? How? Keep the momentum going. Jeff Cobb is one of those wrestlers that can definitely carry a division on his back if need be. And be really good at it. Create really good stories. Tell people off. You know, during his backstage promos and stuff. Like, it will feel legit. Because New Japan Pro Wrestling wants to feel legit. But sometimes there are certain titles that New Japan Pro Wrestling has that feels like props. Case in point, that never openweight championship title that Carl Anderson has around his waist when he took it off of Tama and he has not done shit with it. He's not even in the undercard for the G1. FTR is not even in the undercard for the G1 to put those titles on the line. So you put them on people who are over here in the States to try to give it prestige. But the actual people who are busting their ass in New Japan Pro Wrestling can't make it prestigious it bothers me it really does all right let me get into this match we start off very traditional with a collar and elbow tie-up and then some shoulder blocks where Jeff Cobb is telling Okada to hit him as hard as he can with these shoulder blocks but it really doesn't 
matter is not phasing Jeff Cobb. It's only hurting Okada more. We then move on to Jeff Cobb catching Okada and does a fallaway slam. Now, because you guys can watch night one and night two for free over at NJPWworld.com, you can see the hang time that Okada gets when he is thrown overhead by Jeff Cobb. It looked like time had slowed just for you to see what it takes to do that move. Jeff Cobb manages to get Okada to the outside and starts attacking Okada with huge strikes across the back and then sends Okada into the guardrail. And Jeff Cobb decides to walk right over Okada, stepping on his chest because Jeff Cobb doesn't give a fuck. Rolls Okada back into the ring and does his patented surfboard where Jeff Cobb just stands on you and that shit probably hurts. Jeff Cobb does a suplex to Okada and then followed up by a bear hug squat right in the ring, in the middle of the ring, followed by a slam. Okada manages to do his famous DDT to create some space between himself and Jeff Cobb because obviously Jeff Cobb is really taking a toll on Okada here. We get a back elbow after Okada builds up steam from running the ropes. And then Okada manages to do a flapjack to Jeff Cobb. When this happens, a board in the middle of the ring pops up and it is out of place. Red Shoes Uno stomps the shit out of this board to get it back in place while the wrestlers are still wrestling somewhat and they're realizing what's going on. So they decide to take it to the outside of the ring for the referee to finish what he had to do. Red Shoes manages to get it decent enough so that way the wrestlers can still continue and no major injuries can happen. Now, for those that don't know how a wrestling ring is built, you have your steel wire frame along with the post, the ring post, and then you have boards that are made from wood lumber and they're very long and they reach from one end to the other end of the framework and you put them all together in a very tight, neatly rectangle that looks like a platform. And then you put your layer of foam and cushion and then you top it off with the canvas and then you put the ropes and you have the corner buckles, the turnbuckles, or in this case in Japan, they have one solid corner pads to make their ring if you get all of these elements right and everything is good you should have a nice working ring so wrestlers take a bump on wood so wrestlers really take a bump on wood after a while your body gets used to it and it really doesn't hurt as much but it can still hurt no matter what you do as always make sure to be in a ring with a professional and always be safe in the ring. Okada manages to lift up Jeff Cobb and does his signature neck breaker. After Jeff Cobb recovers a little bit, he does a drop kick to Okada and then does a spin cycle to Okada, which Jeff Cobb lift up Okada from the corner and basically catches him in his arms to do the spin cycle. 
from the second rope, we get a gut wrench throw by Jeff Cobb to Okada. And then Jeff follows it up with his beautiful standing moonsault. Okada kicks out of the pin attempt. We managed to get a shotgun drop kick. And then Jeff Cobb does a pile driver to Okada. However, Okada is unfazed and decides to turn it around on Jeff Cobb to do a spinning tombstone pile driver on Jeff Cobb. After some time, Okada puts the money clip on Cobb. However, Jeff Cobb gets out of that. And again, Okada tries for the money clip. This time, Jeff takes his body down to the mat and crawls over to reach the rope and cause a rope break. Okada manages to do his signature. Okada manages to do his signature body slam and then followed up by an elbow drop to Cobb, but Cobb kicks out of the pin attempt. We get a super rainmaker to Okada by Jeff Cobb. We get a forearm exchange between these two guys. Okada tries for the money clip again, but Cobb does not allow it to happen. And then we get a rainmaker. However, this rainmaker is avoided and dodged because Cobb decides to do a headbutt to Okada, which leaves him dazed and dizzy. However, Okada kicks it into high gear and does an insiguri followed by his side slam has has hold of the wrist because Okada loves wrist control and if Okada gets wrist control of any wrestler that's it they're done Okada is a master of wrist control Okada then does the rainmaker and pins Jeff Cobb one two three Jeff Cobb loses an amazing match in which he dominated for 90% of that match. I still wanted Jeff Cobb to win his first match coming right out of the opening of the G1, but it's okay. We still got time, but I'm just saying that all that power that Jeff Cobb has should have gave him the victory over Okada. Okada is not used to wrestling big guys like Jeff Cobb. And this is only their second meeting in a match. And again, Jeff Cobb lost to Okada. Okada has his first two points of the G1 Climax 32 of opening night, July 16th, 2022. The current standings are for block A, we have Okada at two points, Jeff Cobb at zero points. For block B, we have Jay White at two points, Sonata with zero points. For block C, we have Hinare for two points, Tanahashi at zero. For block D, we have Osprey at two points and El Fantasmo with zero points. A lot of great action is going to come to us tomorrow on Sunday, July 17th. Again, it is free for you to watch on NJPWworld.com. You do not need a subscription to NJPWworld.com. But 
you do need a subscription to marieshadows.substack.com in order to unlock all paid content. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you enjoyed this review, whether you are listening to the free version or the paid version. I love you either way. You can always upgrade your free subscription to a paid subscription that helps out the brand that helps me do a lot more. And I can start getting some more ideas going and just overall helps out the brand. And plus, it helps you out with getting more content for the amount that you're paying. So you end up unlocking all of the paid premium content by upgrading to a paid subscription. The good thing about it is that all G1 long, we're going to be talking about the G1 for the next 29 days now, now that the opening night is already done, 29 more days to go. I will be continuing the G1 sale, which is 28% off for one year or monthly, depending on how your budget goes. And you can support at any time during the time that I make these reviews, make the content. And even if I present you with extra goodies, just want to have a quick reminder that you can sign up at lu.ma forward slash G132 where you can sign up for those events and you can see me on Twitch. It will remind you when I go on Twitch to talk about the G1 in general. And then if you want to join me for Tuesday, July 19th, where I have Clark Connors on my show live via Twitch, just head over to lu.ma forward slash ccnjpw. And if you enjoy this podcast episode and want to have an upgrade experience, because you deserve it, head over to marieshadows.substack.com forward slash G132, and that will take you to the sale that I'm going to keep rocking from the beginning of the G1 all the way to the end of the G1. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to an episode of the Square Circle Podcast covering the G1 Climax 32. I am your host, Marie Shadows, and I'll see you guys on the next one.